And I opened up a can of worms last week. And before they all get away, I want to try to put the cap back on it tonight, all right? I, I, I'm not here to hurt you. You're hurting already. I do, though, think that what I talked about last week, it could opened up old wounds. It could have, um, it could have maybe tried to cause you to look at an old scar that's been there for a while. Um, it could have just made you weep, and that's all right. I hope it helped some of you to be able to put things in perspective. And so when I got to this passage in Genesis, I didn't think we should skip it because all through the Bible, we're going to have to deal with this situation. And we're going, things is going to come up. It came up in the life of Jesus and he had to answer those questions for people because they were confused about them. And I don't want you confused about this matter. So we were talking about what happens when we refuse to wait on God. And we saw that sin happens, and the sin that happened will never end. That sin won't end until Jesus comes and ends it all, right? It just don't. It's going on and on and on and on. What we see happen in the Middle East today is because of what Genesis 16 is about. Now, I'm telling you the truth, folks, tonight. This is up-to-date stuff. We're not behind. God's not behind. He is right up front. He wrote it before it got here. He knew where it was going. And so, when Abraham and Sarah decides that they're not going to wait any longer on God, they've waited long enough, 10 years is enough, they're just not going to wait any longer. They're too old. They, they, it just can't happen. They're going to take things in their own hands. And they're going to make sure that they get this thing done that God has promised them. So they come up with a fleshy solution. Uh, they kind of blame God. They, they find a, a loophole. They forsake his leadership. And then you see all the things that starts to take place and one of the things I called your attention to was in verse number two Sarah said to Abram behold now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing in other words God's fault because I can't have a child now I will tell you that God may not want you to have a child and he can restrain you from bearing and if he does that's all right he, if you sometimes, he restrains men from being able to have children. In fact, the Bible even says God makes some men eunuchs. In other words, they were born um, impotent. They're not able to have a child. That doesn't mean it's their fault. That's God's business. And I think Paul himself committed himself to be a eunuch. So he could do the work that he needed to do. He didn't have problems with the temptations that he would face along the way. But that's another sermon tonight. But notice what the Bible does say. said, he has restrained me from bearing, so I pray thee, go into my maid. It wasn't just a request. It was a strong request. Now, when a wife makes a strong request to a husband, what do they usually do? They do it, right? They do it. She made a strong request, go into my maid. It may be. Now, she don't even know for sure. She has no assurance 
that this deal that they've concocted is going to work. It may be that I may obtain children by her. Already it sounds fleshy, doesn't it? Look, and Abram <laughs> hearkened to the voice of Sarah, later to be Sarah, and later for him to be Abraham. And then notice, and Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian. Boy, that was a mistake. They took the world to which God says is our enemy. We have three enemies. What are they? World, flesh, devil, right? Those are our three enemies. Okay. Why in the world would we want to take one of our enemies and try to produce something that would be in God's will? Isn't that silly? That's silly. But we do it all the time, doesn't it? I've done it before. You've done it before. We do it all the time. So that's what they do right here. Look, he said, Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, an Egyptian. They picked her up, no doubt, while they was out of the wheel in Egypt, got her brought her along with them. And Abram, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, and, and here's where we have a problem. And here's tonight where I'm going to jump over and just deal with some stuff. Look what it says. And gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Wow. That's a, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Here is a woman giving her husband to another woman to be his wife. Oh, 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 that's not really what it means. What it really means, somebody says, is that she just wants to bear a child, so he, she's just a concubine. I'm sorry, that's just not the way it works. You can call him a concubine, but God calls him something else. So right here, whoredom takes place. Adultery takes place. Fornication takes place right here because of their fleshy solution to do the will of God. I've actually had people sit down in my office that was having an affair, both of them married to somebody else, having an affair, sat down in my office and said, we've prayed about this and we believe this is God's will. I said, this counseling session ain't going to take long. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> Number one, you're out of the will of God, and you can pray till your face turns red. And God's not going to change his word just because you are eat up by the flesh. And so I kind of ended that conversation. We lost the family here not long ago. We've lost several families because of the flesh. They didn't leave in the spirit. They left in the flesh. They left because they've got issues, not because the church has issues. And the church does have issues. We all have issues, right? And you're not going to find a church that don't have issues. And when you get there, they're going to have more issues. But we, you know, we have people who come to us, and they're so messed up with their issues, and they think we can fix them with fleshly solutions, and we can't. We can't. We can only fix them with spiritual solutions. And that's what tonight I want to try to help you a little bit 
tonight. I don't want to look for a loophole like she did in verse 2. It may be. I don't want to look for some maybes, okay? I want to look for some will-bes, right? Some confident things that we can look at. And so you're not going to find the Scripture that's going to justify adultery in the Bible. You're not going to do it. You're not going to find the Scripture in the Bible that justifies adultery or justifies fornication. You're just not going to do it. Let's, let's flip back over to the book of Hosea just for a moment. And I know Hosea is a hard book to find, so I marked it. I know you don't, so you'll get there at the end in the invitation. But Hosea is, is, is a book that is, it's one of my favorite prophetic books in the Bible because it's so pictorial. It's so illustrative. And it's used a husband and wife situation and the grace of God in it. But look in Hosea, as we do, I want you to look in chapter 2, verse number 13, what it says. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them. Wait a minute, I'm too far over here. Hang on a minute. Hosea chapter... Uh, yes, no, I'm right, okay. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam wherein she burned incense to them and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels and she went after her lovers and look and forget me, saith the Lord. So when you have an affair, here's what you do. You forget God for a moment and then you forget God for more moments and then you forget God for more moments. So she forgot God and went after her lovers. Is that what it says? Now, she forgot God. Now, look at verse 7 in Hosea 2. And she shall follow after her lovers. She'll not overtake them. Folks, listen. You can have all the affairs you want to. You're not going to accomplish what you set out to accomplish. When David had his affair with Bathsheba, it didn't turn out like David wanted it to. It never does. It never will. Uh, sometimes we wish it would, but it just don't, and it won't. Look, when we violate the principles of God, it will not. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. And then she shall say, look what she says. I will go and return to my first husband. In other words, every person that she had had sexual relationship with since the day she walked out on Hosea was considered husband two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm thinking about a person in my hometown who used to brag as a young woman that she had already, in her early 20s, had sexual relationship with over 100 men. Even back in the early 70s, bragging, bragging, not knowing that right then she had already shared herself with a hundred people who had shared their self with a hundred more and a hundred more and hundreds of more. And it was a sin that just kept on going. Never ends. Are y'all hearing me tonight? It don't stop 
because it's forgiven. The consequences keep coming. I want to help you with that tonight. I don't want you to live with that guilt hanging over you, but I do want you to understand that the consequences will keep coming. They won't stop. Hagar would have liked to have stopped it, but she couldn't. And so 4,000 years later, the consequences are still coming. Imagine what, if we really could see it the way God sees it, imagine how we would feel today. It would cause us to throw up. We could not stand it to see what God sees today. You remember, remember what God said to Moses? And we skipped this passage in the book of Genesis. I didn't, or we didn't really skip it, but I didn't deal with it adequately. I think it's in chapter number 15, I believe it says. Um, yes, chapter 15 of Genesis in verse 16. Look what it says. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. You know why the Israelites had to stay 400 years in Egypt? Because God was judging somebody else for 400 years and he wasn't going to let them leave till he got through with them. God's judging Israel for their sin in Egypt and he's judging the Amorites somewhere else in the promised land so they can't go to the promised land till God gets full So God's iniquity is filled up. God has a limit. And when you get there, brother, oh, it erupts. God does have some limits. He has some limitations. Are y'all with me? Okay. So here Hosea in his life, and now we find we're looking at Sarai, Abram in their life, and they think that they have gotten by with their little charade. 13 years passes, they've swept it under the rug. Affairs continue to happen. So you see, when she gave herself, when she gave her husband to Hagar, her husband kept going to Hagar. Didn't stop. And you see, what that creates is a jealousy. It also creates a hurt. Now, you hurt yourself, and you hurt other people, and you hurt God. We try to blame. We try to do a lot of things. But the truth is, we hurt somebody. And so that's what we're dealing with tonight. And I'm going to just take a pause. I think there is an outline tonight that, Uh, It's an addendum outline that I pause tonight to share with you some things that I hope will help you about the consequences of this one particular sin. Oh, you say all sins are like. No, it's not. There's one sin that's different from any other sin, and that's the sin of sexual immorality. Whether it's premarital or extramarital, it is a distinct, different sin 
has distinct different consequences and cannot be totally repaired. It'll always leave a scar. Now with me? Now when you get to heaven, that scar will be gone. And you won't have to live with it again. But that scar is still there. Folks, if we could see all the scars in us spiritually, we, we, we'd be, we, we, we would look like a scarred up mess tonight. You know what? If we could see it. So let me just go through some things to help, help you tonight. And by the way, you say, I don't believe that, Brother Glenn. And I knew somebody would say that. So I'm going to be ready for you. Nobody's ever, you know, I, I, every now and then somebody will leave here. And, and a couple of families have left. I'm just not being fed. You're not being fed because you're not eating. You got colic. You need Dr. Pole. Stick a tube down your nose and drain that nasty mess out of you. And then the food tastes a whole lot better. Are, are y'all okay? Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 6. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. And I'm going to show you something. 1 Corinthians 6. And we looked at this just a minute last week, but for, in case you wasn't here, I'm going to show you that this is a different kind of sin. Look at verse number 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. Know you not that that which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that joined to the Lord is one spirit. Verse 18, flee fornication. Stay away from it. Don't flirt with it. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. He distinguishes that sin from all others. Can't help it. God put it there. I didn't write that. God did. You say, what does that mean? It means that it becomes embedded in your fleshly mind. It becomes embedded in your fleshly heart. It comes embedded in your romantic life. It comes embedded in the words that they speak in affairs, in adulterous situations. It embeds itself in your experiences that happens. It embeds it things and things that might, you think, at the time, please him or her. Clothes or, or, or perfume or, or sweet words. And it seals it, it embeds itself into your flesh. You can't get rid of it. It's there. It's pictures it's taken and post it in an old photo album, and no matter how far you stick it in the attic, it's there. It's there. And so you, instead of having one, you have two. Instead of having two, you have three. And then they carry it somewhere else, and now you've got six. And it just continues to sin and bear consequences. You ever think about what it does to the family? It hurts. Some of you left here the other night hurting. I talked to you. 
because of not your sin, but the sin of somebody else. I have not understood this until I began to study. Turn to Matthew 5, verse 32. I, I'm probably not going to get through tonight, but I will teach you this because you need to learn it. And you need to teach it to your children so your children won't make some mistakes that we all made. Right? Matthew 5, verse 32. This has given me problems over the years, this verse. But I say in thee, now he's speaking about divorce. Whoever shall say, put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorce. But he said, you've heard that said. That's in the law. That's true, God said. And another place he said, but it was not so from the beginning, but because of the hardness of your heart that happened. You can't live with someone that is so hard against you that they're throwing things through the walls and beating the kids. And slapping you around. But look what he says. But I say to you that whosoever shall put away his wife saving, that means except for the cause of fornication. Fornication covers all sexual sin. Now here's the problem. Causeth her. Y'all ever seen that? That's bothering me. Causeth her to come into adultery. How could him putting away her cause her to commit adultery? Because I'm of the opinion that wherever God gives the reason for divorce, he gives the right to remarry. And so, when someone puts away his wife for no reason, or even maybe a small reason, and he puts her away, unless it is far fornication, look, he causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. You know why? It finally dawned on me that that sin is different than any other sin. And here's why he causes her to commit adultery. Because when she marries again, she takes him with her. When he marries again, he takes her. So he caused her because he put her away. He divorced her, maybe because he was having an affair. And he caused her. So you see, you can cause sin. This is the only time that I find in the Bible to where someone caused or someone else is to blame for the sin. Oh, you say, well, my husband wasn't doing right. Oh, my husband, my wife wasn't doing right. That's got nothing to do with the divorce. But this, he said, fornication does. Why? 
Because when you commit fornication, you bring somebody else into the mix. That hurts, doesn't it? Hurts me, hurts you. So God said it wasn't like that in the beginning. It was just for the exception of fornication. And so it's an act that is not unforgivable. It is. But it is an act that's unforgettable. It's not an act that's unforgivable. Are y'all with me? I know some crazy people that believe divorced people can't be saved. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because most everybody in this society that we live in has been in some type of fornication lifestyle at some point at some time so if you take Jesus at his word some Pharisee that's sitting back here that only has been married one time but has already done some other things that has connected him to somebody else can never say he's done something somebody else hasn't done because he has she has she has the reason they don't know no better is because they hadn't studied the scriptures to show themselves approved. 2 Timothy 2.15. It's an act that is not unforgivable. It is forgivable. But it is unforgettable. But there's a way to deal with that, and I hope I can get to it tonight to help you. So that's the cause of marital sin. Look at the covenant of marital sin. You'll just have to do this in a hurry. Uh, but, but go home and look up Ecclesiastes 8. And Ecclesiastes 8 basically says this. When you make a vow, in other words, when you make a covenant, which is what marriage is, right? A covenant. In fact, Malachi even calls it a covenant. Malachi 2 verse 14 says that you made a covenant with the wife of your youth. Notice that. I also noticed something else. And while it's on my mind, before I get away from it in the book of Hosea, did you notice that when Hosea in chapter 3 goes and gets his wife, God said, go yet love a woman beloved of her friends. And the Bible said that Hosea went to get her, and I'd never seen this till today, and he went to get her and committed to love her. We're never told about what kind of romantic life they had after that. I kind of doubt it was great. She had too much in her mind, too much in her heart. He'd been hurt too bad. But here's what he said. I betroth you to me. He didn't say, I remarry you. He said, I betrothed you. In other words, you're to stay faithful. You see, then that day when you were engaged, it was like being married. <laughs> you couldn't date six people at the same time, Hoss. That didn't work. Little stud muffin, okay? That just didn't work. And sweetheart, you couldn't flicker through your lies 
at ten boys and wear the tightest clothes you could so they'd look at you. Because I am of the opinion that many times the reason there's fornication and the reason there's adultery is because we've advertised ourselves. And somebody says something to you, and this is later on in my sermon, but if anybody in your lady and somebody says something to you against your will or against your faith or says something ugly to you, you ought to wring their jaws first. And if it's not at the place you can wring their jaws, you ought to say, do never speak to me again. But instead, they like to be noticed, like to be talked to, men, like for that prettier woman, that younger girl, to wink at them a little bit. And we cause fornication. So there's a covenant of sin, and it's long-lasting, and it results in some real stink. Look at third thing, confusion of sin. I believe that the reason that things is so confused in America today in people's minds is because of the abuse of sexual sin in our lives. How in the world can we think straight when all of our lives we've had affair after affair, fornication after fornication, Sexual relationships that wasn't of God, time after time, place after place, person after person, until finally we come to the place that it doesn't do for us what we want to do. So we step down a step and homosexuality begins and lesbianism begins. And when that's not enough, get ready, folks, bestiality will become. How in the world do you think anybody can look at a little six-year-old girl or a little three-year-old child and get sexually excited about that child unless they're messed up up here? And you know why they got messed up there? Because they didn't understand that the first experience of sexual relationship brought them in contact with one person and the next time brought that person with them to somebody else and to somebody else and to somebody else. Now listen, the one that you committed adultery with, all the ones that they had committed adultery with before, becomes your baggage. So you have a problem. So there's confusion. Now I'm going to give you some counsel tonight. Now I'll probably have to finish it up next week, but I want to help you tonight. I really do want to help you tonight. If I understand the Bible, that this sexual thing affects our minds worse than any other sin too. How in the world can a sin be different from any other sin unless it affects us in our head? So that's why the Bible is always telling us to do what? Renew our minds. 
Y'all got me? Renew our minds. Sin will change our spirit. In David's prayer, because of his um, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and by the way, this wasn't his first adultery, adulterous relationship, but it so convicted him, the Scripture tells us, and I think it was also his murder of her husband and some other things that he did all put together. The Scripture tells, he says, God, you've got to change me. You've got to renew the spirit that's in me. I don't want to think like I'm thinking. I don't want to see what I'm seeing. I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. God, renew my spirit. He couldn't do that till he had completely repented, totally abhorred what he had done. You see, you can say, oh, I confess and God forgives me and go on about your business if you want to, but that don't fix it. What fixes it is when you come broken and contrite before God and say, God, I had what you gave me, which must have been the best, but I blew it. I messed up. All I needed was that, was him or her. All I needed, but I blew it. I don't care if you've got the best-looking guy, the best-looking woman in the world, you blew it. And that standard will be in your mind, and your mate will have to live up to that standard to please you unless you have your mind continually renewed. And also the one who was sinned against will wonder what's in your mind. So there has to be a renewal of the minds of both husband and wife where there's been extramarital sexual experiences. Now, I've got to say a lot about that, a whole lot more to help you. But I just want to say this tonight. Just, just look these verses up. I think, I think just got them, got them on, the, on the board. Put the rest of that just kind of go through that so they can get a few of those scriptures. Go slow, and then I want you to write some of them down and study them this week, and it will help you to deal with the hurt that's going on in your heart. Some of you have been mistreated. You've been hurt. Your mate has caused you to be put in a situation to where they've brought somebody else into your life that you didn't want. You didn't deserve. And you're hurting. And you have to renew your mind and say, God, I want to make my life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. So help me, God, to get my mind on the mate that I love, that you gave me to love, or the person that you gave me to love, my wife, my husband. And help me, God, to be filled with the Spirit and to love them like Christ loved the church. Every time there's a romantic experience, every time there is a, a, every time there is a daily experience, every time there is any experience, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Why? There ought to be such a comfortability 
in your home and among each other because our minds are being renewed day by day. We ought not to walk on eggshells. Can, I have, can somebody say amen? Next week, I'm going to tell you some more things. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. But tonight, just go home. And please, this week, because I'm, I'm going to use it next week to help you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Devour those verses, especially those of you who have been hurt. And those of you who may get hurt again, but devour those verses. Devour them. Because something had to change in Sarah's life if First Peter's right. Right? Not only that, something had to change in Abraham's life if First Peter's right. So you devour those verses. I can give you a lot more. But by God's grace, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. Because in all the 40 years that I've been doing what I'm doing, and the folks that I've looked across my desk at and the homes that I've went in and the, saw the families crying, I started to say to you a while ago, and I just skipped over it and kept going. We lost a family a year or two ago. I don't know when they left. I'd been to their home several times to help. They'd call me when they had problems, and I'd met with them and tried to help them and with their kids. And they left. You know, that's the way it normally is in the church. The people you do the most for is the ones who leave you. So they left. One of the statements that was made was this. I went to see Brother Mike. And he's not like Brother Glenn. He, he didn't just tell me what the Bible said and said, send me on my way. He just sat there and let me talk. A parrot can do that. I'm not going to sit there and just let you talk. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I might need them, but I'm not one. And when you come to me and won't, want to know what to do with your kids here I'm going to tell you what God said and if you don't like it just hit the door and go on home and say we'll just keep on hurting and I can tell you what God said about your home and your family and if you don't like go on home and let it stay like it is but something needs to change like it did in Abraham and Sarah's life so God could use them as the illustration of what godliness in the home ought to be we need to change we don't need to get angry at somebody who tells us what this book says.